Welcome, everyone, to a Holy Mess podcast with me, Father Paul, who is his holy mess. This is a podcast to encourage, entertain, and give hope to those of us who are striving to find holiness in a very messy world. It's also a podcast for those of us who identify as a holy mess, like me, obviously, his holy mess. Are we not at all in some way, because of our weakfulness and our sinfulness, a holy mess? Yet the good news is that God, who is supremely pristine and pure, entered the depths of our mess and the mess of this world and made it holy. And he doesn't just clean up the mess in our lives, but he redeems it, uses it, and turns our mess into a beautiful message of hope. So tune in, bring your mess with you, and join me for a clean but very messy podcast. One, two, three. Welcome back, everybody, <laughs> to a holy mess with his holy mess, Fada Pool. That's what Christopher West calls me, Fada Pool, Fada Pool. Uh, that's interesting because, and I didn't even do this on purpose, but Christopher West, Doctor Christopher West, is going to be my guest for the one-year anniversary show of a holy mess with his holy mess, which takes place next Thursday, October. 12th, I think it is. October 12th, one year since A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess has been out. And it's crazy that it's been a year. There's like 50-something episodes or whatever. Uh, some weeks I had two. Some weeks I didn't have any. Um, but uh, yeah, check that out. I'm really excited. I uh, He has a brand new book coming out called Eating the Sunrise, Meditations Upon Beauty, Desire, and Eros. I probably totally screwed up the subtitle of that. But the main title, the non-subtitle, the title title is called Eating the Sunrise. And man, I can relate to wanting to eat beauty. I remember the first time that I ever saw the Grand Canyon, one of the first thoughts that popped into my mind was, I want to eat it. And I know that sounds crazy, but I highly recommend you read his book, which we will talk about next week. We're also doing something else very exciting for the one-year anniversary week-long, month-long extravaganza. Uh, we're going to have a special episode where uh, it's going to be called Grilling His Holy Mess. Yes, Grilling His Holy Mess. We're going to have you all submitting questions. I created a specific email address that I will not look at. I will not look at my friend, uh, my good friend's uh, Dr. Anthony Porta and Cheryl Porta, formerly Cheryl Pacella, they will be checking this and they will interview me. So they will take all of your questions. Um, well, you can ask me anything. Just grill me about the Catholic faith, about my life, about uh, Catholic teaching, morality, uh, anything you want, anything. Priest on a hot seat. It's going to be called gr Grilling His Holy Mess. Email your questions. Do not write them in the comment section on social media. Do not message me on social media. Email your questions to this address. Are you ready? Are you ready? Grillinghisholiness at gmail.com. Very simple. Grilling, like grilling on a grill. G-R-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-I-S-H-O-L-I-M-E-S-S. -S. Grilling his holy mess. I will put 
the link of that email address in all the show notes and on the posts on social media. But again, it is grilling his holy mess at gmail.com. Okay. And holy mess is spelled with an I, not a Y. H O L I M E S S. Grilling his holy mess at gmail.com. Yo, we're going to film this. We're going to record that episode like in like four days. So hurry up, submit your questions now, anything you want. And you could submit more than one. And I'm not going to know the questions. I'm not going to know what they're going to ask me. They're going to ask me. They're going to come to the studio or maybe we'll do a remote and they're going to have the pile of the questions. Hopefully there's more than two. So I don't feel like a loser. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be great. I I'm looking forward to that very much. So uh, this is going to be an episode where it's pretty much just me riffing, just me uh, riffing. I'm not interviewing anybody because I'm going to be talking about the Holy Land, my Holy Land pilgrimage. A friend of mine that I recently just got together with, I have not seen him in about 20 years. His name is Michael DeBarge, formerly known as Michael Campbell, as I knew him at Paramus Catholic High School a long time ago. A good buddy of mine from back in the day, Dag, back in the Hey, when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Anyway, uh, I think that's my skill. I get no royalties for singing that song in the show, and hopefully I won't get sued. So uh, anyway, Michael and I were in the performing arts, I guess, if you will, the in high school, in the plays, the musicals. Very talented guy. Ridiculously talented. He's been an actor, dancer, singer since he was like four years old. Uh, he, I had the lead in the high school musical, my sophomore year in high school, I was Conrad birdie in bye bye birdie. And then the next year we were doing Pippin and I'm like, I'm going to get the role of Pippin. You know what I'm saying? And Michael Campbell auditioned for Pippin and blew all of us away, blew all of us away. He got it. And he was like nominated for like paper mill playhouse awards and, and everything. The guy's just unbelievably talented. And we used to hang out. 20 something years ago or so, but it's been a minute. It's been a minute. And, uh, you know, we're Facebook friends, so Instagram friends, you know, as everybody is or whatever. But he recently told me that he was listening uh, to my podcast. He would like sent me a video of him listening to my podcast in the car with his girlfriend. And uh, I said, dude, you know what? I'd love to get together with you, man. He's, I said, it's been 20 years. Uh, he is actually nowadays Corey Feldman's manager uh, or one of his managers or his main manager, Corey Feldman. Yes, that's right. From the Goonies, from the Lost Boys, from Stand By Me, from uh, Friday the 14th, the final chapter, from Gremlins. I mean, you don't get much of a bigger child star than Corey Feldman in the 1980s. No, not even, not at all. I mean, I I know other people say, well, Corey Haim too. But Corey Haim came on the scene like later in the 80s. Corey Feldman was doing his thing at least from like 1984, 1982, even before that. Uh, and so Corey Feldman is in a band. He's been in a band for a very long time because I met Corey when I was in Hollywood, California back in 2003. I was going on a tour there. I was with my girlfriend at the time, scandalous, uh, way before I was in the priesthood. So I was with my girlfriend in Hollywood, California, and went on a tour. And all of a sudden, I walked outside, and there was Corey Feldman just kind of standing there, hanging out. And I was like, uh, Corey Feldman? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, dude, Like, what a big fan. He's like, oh, thanks so much, man. I was like, I just heard you. Uh, I just watched your E! True Hollywood story. And I just heard you on Howard Stern. I know you got a band and all this. And he's like, oh, yeah, totally cool, man. Blah, 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 blah. Took a picture with him. He couldn't have been nicer. Uh, my girlfriend was like totally impressed. Anyway, um, which is what we want. You know what I'm saying? 
and uh so here all of a sudden now like my my buddy my my michael campbell is his manager so they had a show in morristown i went first time i saw michael in about 20 years i met his girlfriend uh my uh, you know she's uh ridiculously so nice we hung out uh, i'm gonna totally mess up the pronunciation of her name it, it's um it's not Omari, uh, but uh, hold on. Let me just look it up real quick. But I give her a special shout out because she's a huge fan of this show. Michael's like, she's your number one fan. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So anywho, so it is, let's see here, Omaria. O-M-A-R-I-A, Omaria. Thank you for being a fan of this show. God bless you. And uh, went to the show. I got to be honest with you. Corey Feldman's music um, live watching him perform it honestly i actually enjoyed the show i'm not gonna lie to you i wasn't really expecting to enjoy the show um i enjoyed it i i, I did and uh michael said he's gonna have him on my podcast i'm not exactly sure why but he's welcome completely welcome uh i mean have Corey feldman on the show yeah why not uh so but we went out and hung out in the diner till about two 30 in the morning, me, Michael, Omari and Michael's friends, whose name is uh, skipping me right now. And Michael's like, you know what? I really like your podcast and you have some good guests on, but there was this episode where you were just riffing. It was all you. Uh, it was about Easter and you were just talked for an hour straight. And I really liked that. And I think you should do that again. So here you go, Michael. Here you go, bro. Great being with you early in the week, man. Awesome. And Omaria and your other friend whose name I can't remember. I hope he doesn't hate me for that. So, um, you know, I, I told you all last week that I'm going to be talking about the Holy Land pilgrimage. It really changed my life in many ways. Uh, I had been to the Holy Land before. Um, just FYI, Bonnie Landry's podcast, Make Joy Normal, Make Joy Normal. She interviewed me last week. She just released the podcast. We talked somewhat about the Holy Land, but we also talked about my life. So I want to give her a shout out. I want to thank her for interviewing me. Please go check out that episode and support her podcast in general, Make Joy Normal. Uh, awesome woman. I met so many amazing people on the trip. Um, I, 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 I don't really know where to start. This is going to be messy. This is just kind of going to be me going down memory lane. I have the itinerary set on uh, Facebook over here or no. Um, oh, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I already told you about growing his homeless. So I went with the Catholic Traveler. I got my photos and everything like that uh, set up here on Facebook so I could talk about uh, the order that things happen. Of course, I lost them right this second because I am a holy mess. Um, there was something else that happened this week, though, that I wanted to tell you about before I got into the Holy Land, and I, I just can't remember it right this second. But um, I haven't been on social media as much, uh, really, other than just to promote the podcast or like some really important things. I haven't gone on. I haven't gone scrolling. I haven't checked my likes and checked my views and checked my followers. I haven't gone onto my podcast website and checked how many downloads um, my episodes have gotten. Like I, I, something changed. I realized when I was in the Holy Land that. My priesthood really the past year and a half or so uh, has somewhat been functionary, and it's not supposed to be. You know, I've been doing a lot of things. I've been doing, 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 which is great. And I'm not saying that I'm not a man of prayer. I'm not saying that I don't pray. But I think I've been trying to overcompensate. Uh, and I, I don't want to get too much into like really 
internal forum, personal stuff and stuff like that. But um, I just, I've been doing a lot and I've also, I've been posting a lot and there's a part of me that surely for sure wants my post to help people bring them closer to Jesus, to the church, uh, some of my more sillier stuff to let people know that, you know, Catholicism and priesthood is not boring and all those type of things. But there's also a part of it, which is, I think the same for everybody who's on social media of like, you know, look at me, you know what I'm saying? Like, look at what I'm doing. Um, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm important or what I'm, my, my life has meaning and, and things like that. And, you know, that's the problem with social media, right? You know, just trying to get a lot of affirmation. There could be a lot of great stuff done on social media, but there could also be a, a lot of self-seeking, a lot of seeking one's identity in people's responses, in the comments, in the likes, in the views, you know what I'm saying? Um, like, especially like with Facebook, you know what I mean? Like the emojis, like you put up a post and like somebody loves it. They got the heart emoji. You're like, Oh, awesome. But they just put like a thumb up and I'm like, you can have loved it. Really? Uh, can you relate to that? Are you as sick as me? No. So when I was in the Holy land, I was like, you know what? I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've made it. I am sorry. I'm not saying that I haven't been doing your work. I'm not saying, but there's been a lot of self-focus there's been a lot of trying to overcompensate to prove to myself that I'm doing important things. Um, and there's a song by Michael W. Smith called The Heart of Worship. And the refrain goes, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Yeah, anyway. He was bringing me back to what was the real meaning and purpose of everything. You know, being in the area where he, in the very spot where he was born, where he breathed, where he lived, where he walked on water, where he spent time with the apostles, where he healed um, where he was raised from the dead, where he died and where he raised from the dead, it, it got me away from a lot of focus on self. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was posting galore about the trip because it was some powerful, powerful stuff. But when I came home, I was on the friend with a buddy of mine and he challenged me to just to take a break, take a break from social media, do your podcast, promote the podcast or whatever. But don't be hanging on there. Don't be looking at the comments, looking at the views, looking at the downloads. You know what I'm saying? And it's given me a lot more free time. And it's allowed me to go deeper, 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 deeper in my relationship with Christ. Been doing a lot more holy hours. Been calling friends instead of messaging them. Um, been having real conversations with real people instead of interacting with a lot of strangers online. And you know, it's a struggle, right? Because you want that. You get addicted to the social media. But it, there's also a peace and there's a freeing in real relationships. Um, and so I'm grateful. I'm grateful to my buddy, Tim Hanley, for challenging me about that. And um, I'm grateful for, for the Holy Land trip. I, I know I'm not telling you like specific details right now, but like if if nothing else I got 
from the Holy Land trip and I got a lot more, if nothing else, it's been really freeing and it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? We must die to self. Um, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I still live my human life, but it is the life of faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what Jesus, that's what St. Paul said. I still live my human life, but it is a life of faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. You know, I had a blast the other night hanging out with uh, Michael uh, Campbell DeBarge and Omaria and, you know, um, seeing Corey Feldman and meeting Corey Feldman. And, but there was something, because I had a lot of questions about the, the music industry and I had a lot of questions about Hollywood. And, you know, if you know me, you know that like I, that was like my dream when I was a kid. And in, in some ways it still is, right? Differently, but it was just my dream forever. And it was what I aspired to do. But I came home that night, um, just kind of laying in bed and saying like, Lord, like I, I really don't want anything to do with that industry. Um, and that's not a knock on anybody in the industry, but for me, um, it was an amazing night of conversation of, you know, in terms of like religion and, and just catching up with, with friends. But it was good for me to hear some of the behind the scenes things that I just don't, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, like Corey Feldman, the crap that he has had to go through in his life, I mean, being a child star and just entertainers in general always got to be on top. Number one, a lot of cutthroat stuff that happens. Um, I think I'm grateful that the Lord, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I'm grateful that the Lord kind of saved me from a lot of that. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not strong enough. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have lasted. I'd be as screwed up as, 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 as any of them. It's easy to, to to mock a celebrity that falls and crashes and, you know, people call a psycho or, you know what I mean? Like Britney Spears got a lot of stuff that, you know, she was like losing her mind or whatever, but I can't imagine what these people go through, you know, with the spotlight and, you know, to like want to be like Catholic famous, like what's the point? What's the purpose for what, for who, for who? That's the thing. Who are you serving? Whom are you serving? I'm not good with grammar. Um, that's the trick. A lot of people on top in Catholicism, some people that God bless, they're deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in Jesus Christ, but other people, other famous priests and things like that, they have fall, fall, fallen and fell hard and have scandalized many people. So we got to pray for everybody who's in the spotlight, man. Let the Lord put the spotlight of the rays of his love on you. That's where it's got to start. Yeah. Being in that gaze of love, putting the spotlight on Christ. And look, Jesus was famous and look what they did to him. So a Catholic that wants to be famous, then you got to be also be willing to be rebuked, to be freaking, you know, persecuted and crucified in a way. It's not the glory comes through the cross. The glory comes only through the cross. So, Ooh, this is like so entertaining. Are you entertained? All right. So here we go. Holy Land. This is my podcast. If you don't want to listen to this, I don't care. So that's another thing. Like, I, I'm not really caring right now if this blows up anymore. Oh my gosh, I wanted my podcast forever to just blow up and to get big. And I, you know, have on all these Catholic celebrities and these other people to blow up the podcast. For what? For who? 
For who? For what? Why? Who's being served? You know what I'm saying? If this could help somebody truly in their relationship with God, in their relationship with their family, in their relationship with the church, that's good, 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 good. But for what? For what? For me to get popular? For me to get requests to go out and speak and travel across the country and all that? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the verse that comes to me is, uh, you know, I, everybody knows this, but uh, is it worth to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? To gain the whole world, to gain fans, to gain appraisal, to gain validation, to gain spotlight, money, but to lose your soul. No, it's not worth it. Nope. Not worth it. Zero. Can you do both? Some. Not many. Some. Right? John Paul II, the most famous guy on the planet. John Paul II, the most famous guy on the planet. And guess what? He was deeply, deeply, he knew who he was doing it for. It wasn't for him. You know what I mean? So, hey, Padre Pio, he was famous. Padre Pio was famous while he was still alive. It wasn't like he died and then they became famous. He was famous and all he cared about was being a friar who prayed. And that's humility. That's humility. I don't have that. I don't have that. Uh, a little bit. A little bit, maybe, like a slimmer since the Holy Land. But <sighs> deeply rooted deeply rooted. Otherwise, we'll lose our vocation. We'll lose our vocation. Temptations galore. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be deeply rooted in Christ. And this is why I cannot wait to talk next week about Christopher West's book, Eating the Sunrise. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, everybody, please, in the planet, read this book. I don't care what religion you are. Unreal. Unreal. So, Anyway, as you all know, my friend Marilis Pinero, the ex-nun on the run, is the one who asked me if I could be chaplain for the trip to the Holy Land, a pilgrimage to Israel and Jordan. She asked me about it. Um, my immediate response was I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to go because I was already supposed to go on a pilgrimage in France in October, and this was going to be in September. So I was worried about would I be able to go two months in a row in the fall, you know, after the summer. And I was honored and I wanted to go uh, and I sat and I asked my boss and he could not have been kinder, could not have been more supportive. Uh, and he said, go, go, do it. So I did. And it was amazing. Amazing. So I had never known uh, Mountain before. He's the Catholic traveler. Uh, Mountain, I don't know how to say his last name. I asked him a million times, but I don't know. And I didn't know anybody on this trip. I didn't know anybody at all except for Marilis, who I've already interviewed for this podcast and you know. And I went, I think there was about 28 of us. Uh, we arrived in Tel Aviv. Uh, I'm going to be looking at the itinerary here and there. So, yeah, so um, we, we, yeah, September 7th, we arrived in Tel Aviv, all right? And honestly, we didn't get much time in Tel Aviv. We were just there one night. I mean, the Mediterranean Sea looked amazing, and we were right on the water. My jet lag was like ridiculous. Um, I tried to stay awake, but I ended up taking a little bit of a nap. We had mass in the hotel. That was the opening mass. There was another priest on the pilgrimage, Father Kevin Peak, great guy. He was a pilgrim, brought some people with him or uh, vice versa from Atlanta, Georgia. Great people down there. Awesome people. I don't want to like break their anonymity or whatever, but really great families. Um, and I can't wait to see them and talk to them again. I've never been to Georgia before. It's the only state on the East Coast I've never been to. And maybe some of them work for Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying, maybe they do. Uh, so I look forward to getting a tour of that headquarters. But anyway, 
So yeah, Tel Aviv, you know, it was the opening mass and then we had dinner and that's like, kind of like we got to meet everybody and I met mountain and I met everybody and, you know, was introduced at the chaplain and all this stuff. And I was scared. I haven't really been, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I was chaplain once before in 2016 with my own parish, St. Paul's and Ramsey. I led the pilgrimage. We went to Rome and we went to Fatima. I knew everybody on the trip. This was the first time that I was a pilgrim for this group that I didn't know anybody. So, of course, it's like, you know, you want to preach good homilies. You want them to like you. You want them to think that you're a good priest or a good chaplain or whatever. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so so that that was it. And then, like, the next day, so I'm going to go uh, according to uh, here. And then the next day, we stopped in Caesarea. Not Caesarea Philippi, but there's another Caesarea uh, I'm not exactly sure what to uh, say it, but it's like one of the oldest amphitheaters in the entire world. And, you know, that was cool and everything like that. But I think that um, uh, we also went up to Mount Carmel, uh, to Mount Carmel uh, in the cave where Elijah uh, hid after he slaughtered the 450 false prophets of Baal. And uh, obviously uh, the queen was after him, after his life, wanted to kill him. He went, he hid. Uh, in this cave. Uh, also, it's also up on that mountain where Our Lady appeared to St. Dominic, I believe. Please, again, this is, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a historian, but the whole thing with the, you know, the the scapula and also uh, giving St. Dominic uh, the rosary and teaching him how to pray the rosary and then he teaching it to the world. So that was cool. We were up there not for long. We went into the cave you know, some people got some scapulas. I remember when I went there 13 years ago, uh, got the scapula, the brown scapula. Uh, we should probably do an episode on the scapula about what it is and everything like that. But, um, but, but for me, the highlight that day, uh, as cool as that was and everything like that, is we went to Nazareth. Uh, yes, we we to Nazareth, where Jesus, where Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, and um, we went up there and. Uh, we celebrated mass where he, not where he was conceived in the annunciation. So we went, we traveled to Nazareth to visit the Basilica of the annunciation where we will arrive in time for the Angelus at noon and then celebrate mass there. And that's what we did. Uh, the Angelus is set a couple times a day, uh, usually at 6 AM, 12 noon, 6 PM and uh, 12 midnight. Okay. And the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary and the response is, and she was conceived by the Holy spirit. Right. So it was here. It was in this spot, right? Where, where you say, you know, the word was made flesh, right. And dwelt the, the word was made flesh. Well, in Christopher's book, which we'll talk about next week, he talks about Monsignor Albacetti talking about the scandal of the hick, of the hick, H-I-C. And he's not talking about hickey or anything like that, but it, it is, says there, verbum caro hick factum, the word was made flesh here, in this place where Mary lived, the, right? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us here. That is where we were. In, in the Basilica of the Annunciation where Mary used to live, where the angel Gabriel visited her and told her that she is going to conceive in her womb the Most High God, the child of the Most High, the Son of the Most High, and, he is, and she is the name him Jesus. That's where it was. That's what happened, where the angel Gabriel appeared. We were there, and we said those very words at the Angelus at noon. It's a big deal there, right there. 
And then after that, after we had some time to, you know, take some pictures and pray, we celebrated mass. We didn't, we weren't able to celebrate mass in that specific little altar where exactly it says, verum caro hic factum, the word was made flesh here, right? And dwelt among us here. But we did so like right behind the wall. It was still amazing. We had mass there. We said the word made flesh. The word is made flesh at every single mass. The word was, is made flesh here at every single mass. The sacrifice only happened once. Yes, but it's a representation, if you will. Okay, he's not made flesh again. But in the Eucharist, Jesus gave us his body and his blood at every single mass through the words of the priest, the words of Jesus at the Last Supper. Take this, all of you, eat of it, drink from it. This is my body. This is my blood. The word is also made flesh there at the altar at every single mass. So to be able to celebrate Mass where the Word was made flesh there at the Annunciation when she was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, powerful, 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 okay? Uh, from there, let's see if I have any pictures from there. Of course, this is going on and on. But from there, we went to Cana. That should sound familiar to you because Cana is where uh, the very first public miracle of Jesus happened at the wedding feast of Cana. So we went there to where it is archaeologically believed that, by the way, you're like, well, how do you know this is the spot? I mean, I, I don't know the you know archaeological, scientific evidence or whatever, but there are books, there are documentaries that tell you and explain to you why people believe for centuries that these are the exact spots spots of where that people didn't just like say, Hey, maybe this might be a good spot, but there's like actual, a lot of like study done and a lot of, uh, digging and testing, you know, carbon testing and all that type of stuff. So, uh, so when we went to Cana, it was really powerful and it was really beautiful because, uh, I was able to renew people's wedding vows there because that was at the wedding feast of Cana, Jesus was at the wedding. And, you know, we know the famous story that he, you know, turned the water into wine, but that wasn't so much the miracle. Yes, it was a miracle that he turned water into wine. They were low on wine. It was empty or it was, it was dry. The mother of Jesus says they have no wine. He says, woman, what does that have to do with me? Sounds like a diss. Sounds like an insult to his mom. It's not at all because anytime that um, woman is used in the Bible, okay, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because the original woman was Eve, right? The mother of the living, but she sinned, she died. Mary is the new Eve, the new mother of the living. So whenever you hear the word woman, there's a wedding happening in some sense. In the first chapter of Genesis, the first marriage, the first wedding between Adam and Eve, we hear a woman at the cross where there's another a marriage uh, and a birth of the church. But also here, Jesus says the word woman to her at this wedding because... This miracle has much more to do than this specific wedding, but it is a message that Jesus Christ, the divine bridegroom, the divine bridegroom has come to give his life for the bride. And all marriages signify the marriage between Christ and the church. All earthly marriages, including this one at the wedding of Cana, was a sign and a symbol of the deeper heavenly marriage. And Jesus was going to show that for a marriage to last, it needs to be connected to him, to his love. The wine in the Bible that he supplied was a symbol of the overabundance of the providence of God, of the love of God. Human love alone, the wine, is the wine, aka the love, is going to run dry. It's going to run empty. But when Christ is involved, when the human, the divine bridegroom is involved, 
his love is going to uh, is going to make it a much more superior love and one that will last. So he's saying I'm involved in every single wedding. I am here to help keep the wine going, help keep the love going because on our own, our love alone it's not going to last, but with Christ involved, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, he has a book called It Takes Three to Marry. Three to Marry, the husband, the bride, and Christ. So that's why he performed a wedding, a miracle at a wedding, not just to you know keep the party going, but really to keep the love going and to show that he's going to be there for all time. So uh, so that was cool. Was able to renew people's wedding vows. Um, really awesome. And then sign the certificates later on in the week. Uh, and we had lunch and dinner included overnight on the Sea of Galilee. That was really fun. That was a really good time. Some of these may be out of chronological order. Some things might've gotten changed or whatever. I'm just going on the original itinerary. I do know that there had to be some audibles in terms of when we were eating or where we were going and stuff like that. So for people that were on the trip, maybe this didn't all happen in one day, but all this stuff definitely did happen. Uh, we stayed in the Magdala Hotel, which was like unbelievable. Yeah, in Magdala, like where Mary Magdalene was from. We stayed in Magdala. We went on this, um, I think it was like the Jesus Trail, where like Jesus would have walked from Nazareth to Capernaum, and he had to go through Magdala. And it was just really cool, you know, just to be it's like, this is where Jesus he, this is where like he walked. This is where people traveled. He had to walk this way in order to get to Capernaum and to go to Magdala. And where we stayed at, uh, I don't know if it's called the Magdala Hotel or or whatever, but I highly recommend staying there. They have an amazing chapel with this boat right on the Sea of Galilee, uh, with the Sea of Galilee in the background. What a beautiful! And then they have a first century, first century synagogue right there, right there within the hotel. I mean, you, we got to believe that Jesus was there in some way, that Mary Magdalene was there in some way, shape, or form. He's going to pass Magdalene and not stop in the synagogue? I mean, this is speculation. This is speculation. I'll let you know when it's not speculation. This is speculation. But um, so, yeah, it, it was just powerful. It was beautiful. It was a great spot. I mean, look, you go away with the Catholic traveler, you're going to stay in some really nice spots and have some really great meals. And honestly, I don't want to travel with anybody except for the Catholic traveler again. It was unbelievable. Um, but we were starting to get to know each other, everybody. And by the second night, when we had lunch and dinner uh, overnight on the Sea of Galilee, I mean, we had such a fun time. All the women got up. They started dancing. It's, it was like night number two or night number three. It was like we were really bonding very, very quickly. It was, it was, it was really cool. They also had a first century pool, <laughs> a first century pool in the lobby of uh, the Magdala uh, place, hotel. It was really, really awesome. And then, of course, they had this place called Aroma across the street, which was kind of like the, uh, the, the Israel Starbucks. Every time there was an Aroma, we all stopped and, <laughs> and went there. So, um, so I got some pictures of um, the mass there. Then, yep, the Jesus path. So I already talked about that. And then, okay, boom, Caesarea Philippi. That was powerful. This morning, we will visit Caesarea Philippi. We will travel to the Golden Heights for a panoramic view of the road to Damascus and overnight on the Sea of Galilee dinner included. So Caesarea Philippi, I made a reel about it on September 9th. So that was our second full day there. We arrived on the 7th, 8th night. So um Uno momento, por favor, as I take a sip of my Gatorade, which I am not getting paid for any endorsements of. Caesarea Philippi is where Jesus brought the apostles 
And he asked them the question. He said, who are people saying that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're the prophet Elijah. And others say that you are um, the other prophet who Moses spoke about that was going to come. And then Jesus asked the very famous question, very famous question. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that is where, in Matthew chapter 16, Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father has revealed this to you. And then he says, amen, amen, I say to you, you are Simon. I'm sorry. He does not say Simon. He says, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail. Whoever sins you forgive shall be forgiven on earth. Whoever sins you retain shall be retained on earth. This right here, in the backdrop of a humongous, humongous rock, Jesus knew how to use his surroundings. Jesus was a little dramatic because Peter in the Greek and Aramaic, Petros, Petros, however you say it, means rock. He wasn't saying, upon your faith, I will build my church. He was saying, upon you, you are Peter, and upon you, I will build my church. This is where we get the biblical evidence of Peter, the primacy of Peter, as Peter as the very first pope in Matthew chapter 16. You are Peter, and upon you, Peter, I will build my church. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's why whenever you see a statue of St. Peter, you usually see the keys, right? Is the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. He gives him power. He gives him power. This sinner, this fisherman, he gives him power to forgive sins. And he gives him power to not forgive sins, which the church has the power to do. You must, how could that be? Jesus, well, well, that's a whole topic for another episode with canon law. You got to be sorry. You got to be sorry in order for sins to be forgiven. And then it gets into the whole thing about annulments. The church has the authority to make certain specific key decisions for one's life. And one of the biblical evidence for this is right here. Okay? Caesarea Philippi, what an amazing place. The gates of hell shall not prevail. There was this like gate and this whole thing that was called like the gates of hell. Um, Jesus was also using that, the dramatic though, for talking about the real hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail, which a lot of people think that you know, the hell will be attacking us and our gates will not fall. But no, we have to be on the offensive. The gates of hell shall not prevail, meaning that we need to be on the offensive. We need to be uh, the, the light that scatters the darkness. We don't wait for evil to come to us. We, we don't focus on evil, but we are the soldiers of Christ. We fight the good fight through our prayer, through the sacraments, through uh, rosaries, through good works, through fasting, through almsgiving. Right? Why couldn't this spirit not be driven out? This spirit can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And fasting. All right? Spiritual warfare. We do not just battle flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, St. Paul talks about. There are evil spirits. We don't focus on that. We do have authority over them in Christ, specifically the bishop. And then, you know, in terms of like the exorcist that the, you know, the bishop approves and things like that. But even in the name of Jesus Christ, we can say for lay people, even a lot of uh, prayers of protection, binding prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. So uh, we should do a whole episode on spiritual warfare. But anyway, that's what happened in Caesarea Philippi. It was very powerful. It was a very beautiful thing. Then there was a wine tasting that night uh, that was cool. I don't drink, but I had some amazing, 
water. So anyway, uh, hopefully that made you chuckle a little bit. All right, September 11th, obviously we remembered uh, people at Mass um, who perished in uh, September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. Uh, this morning we head up to Jerusalem, but first we will stop at Mount Tabor to visit the Basilica of Transfiguration and celebrate Mass there. So that was really, 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 really cool. We went up to Mount Tabor. We went up to the mountain where Jesus was transfigured, where we celebrate this August 6th of every single year. Mount uh, brought Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured before them. He showed them his divinity because Jesus just looked like, well, he didn't just look like, he was a human being, right? He was a human being, but he's also 100% God. And he showed them a glimmer of his divinity and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as dazzling white and Moses and Elijah appeared to him on top of the mountain. Moses and Elijah. Moses never made it to the promised land, but Jesus at this moment welcomed him in and there was Elijah representing the law and the prophets and they were conversing. They were conversing and Peter, James, and John, they were afraid. They were scared and Peter said, Lord, it is, it is good that we are here. Let, let me build three tents, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And at that moment, a cloud came uh, over them and a loud voice from the sky said, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the apostles were terrified and they fell prostrate. When they opened up their eyes, they saw nobody but Jesus alone. And Jesus said to them, get up, be not afraid. I forget exactly what he said after that, but I know that... <laughs> That they walked back down the mountain, and he told them to not uh, say this to anybody. But he he gave them this glimmer of his divinity because they were about to enter into Jerusalem, and he was going to be crucified, and he was going to die. And he wanted to give them hope that I am not just a mere mortal, but that I am also divine, and that I will raise from the dead. He wanted to give them a little bit of hope when the scandal of the cross happened. Well, they, James and Peter still left. John stayed. So maybe John remembered. But ultimately, Jesus still chose Peter to be his first pope. He gave him three times the opportunity to tell him that he loved him after the three times that he denied him. And we'll get into that later because we also went to that place where Peter had denied Jesus. So um, the panoramic road, the view of the road to Damascus, I'm not sure if I remember that right now. Um, but anyway, that oh, it was so amazing having mass there on the top of the, I mean, to have mass where Jesus is glorified in the Eucharist, the risen Christ held up, unreal, absolutely unreal. All right, it says here we'll make a stop in Jericho, the oldest city in the world where we will see the Mount of Temptation. Uh, my memory is not fully, totally remembering that right now, so I don't have much to say about it. I apologize, um, but I just, I think I remember Jericho, but I'm not seeing any pictures about it, and I just don't know. The next pictures that I have on my thing are of the Sea of Galilee. So if we did go to Jericho, um, I don't know what to say about it. All right, so uh, September 12th, today we visit Ian Karam in the Church of the Visitation, where we will see where John the Baptist was born. All right. Um, no, we're missing something here because we absolutely went to the Sea of Galilee uh, where 
Peter. So, okay. So you know how after the resurrection, Peter, uh, Jesus appeared to the apostles and a bunch of them went fishing again. Uh, they went to Galilee because when Jesus was risen from the dead, he said to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and I will meet them there. So they left Jerusalem. They went back to Galilee and they went fishing. They went fishing. They went back to the old way of life. And as they were fishing, they saw somebody on the seashore and they realized that it was the Lord, that it was Christ. It was the risen Christ. And Peter uh, threw on some of his clothes because he was lightly clad and he dove into the sea and he swam to the shore. He was so ecstatic to see Jesus Christ that he, he swam to him. And I, and this is the spot, it's upon this rock where Jesus takes Peter's side and he says to him three times, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter's like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, right? And that's where he reaffirmed and confirmed his position in the church as the very first pope, as the very first shepherd. And when we were there, man, I, I don't know why, but it was just like, I have to go in the sea. There was a sign that said no swimming. Some people were putting their feet in. I did have a bathing suit with me and a shirt, but there was nowhere to change, nowhere to change. And I'm wearing my clerics, as you see them right now. And I just went in the water. I dove in the water. I'm like, you know what? If Jesus, if Peter dove in this water, fully clad, fully clothed, I'm going into. And I want to swim in the Sea of Galilee. I wanted to swim. And I did. And some people laughed. Some people took videos. Um, I loved it. I loved it. I wanted to feel, taste, just being inebriated with that whole scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in, the, in John 21 when Jesus is cooking breakfast for them after the resurrection. He's eating with them after the resurrection. And he pulls Peter aside and gives him the chance to tell him that he loves him three times for the, in turn for the three times that Peter denied him. It was a very, very, very powerful moment. Earlier that day, we actually took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. I'm not sure why I'm not seeing it on the itinerary here. Maybe I'm reading this wrong, but I'm looking at my post at the same time. So I am seeing that we took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and that was something else. I mean, to, to be on a boat, in the sea, I mean, this is where it all happened. You know what I'm saying? Like they were fishermen. They were on boats all the time. And even when they weren't fishing, sometimes Peter just went on the boat and put out a little bit into the sea to be able to speak to the crowd because the position of the boat in the sea with, I, I don't know how it works with the acoustics, but it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was better for audio. You know, they didn't have mics back then. So apparently if he you know, went out a little bit on the sea on a boat and it, people could hear him on the shore better, it was so cool. We all went out on the boat. It's a very common thing that tourists do out there. Just took a little bit of a ride, and uh, you know, we stopped a little bit for some for some silence, and then we read the gospel passage of uh, Jesus walking on the water and him telling Peter to come walk out to him. And um, I was able to do that and preach a little bit on that, and there was just complete silence for a while, and it really powerful. Like this is it. This is where it happened. We hear about the Sea of Galilee all the time, but this is it. It's just beyond moving. Like, this is real. 
this is a real place. You know what I'm saying? Really unbelievably powerful. The whole Sea of Galilee, what a, just everything beautiful, Magdala, everything about it, <sighs> out of this world. Put my feet in here. Um, <laughs> this is the Sea of Galilee. All right, now we're on the boat. Oh, and then we saw this um, 2,000-year-old boat. We don't know exactly who it belonged to, but the boat is exactly 2,000 years old. It could have been their boat. We don't know for sure, but it was still cool to be in the presence and to take a picture with a 2,000-year-old boat. So I miss that place. I loved Hotel Magdala. Um, I love the place of the transfiguration. We also went where Jesus said the Beatitudes, um, the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew, I think, chapter 5, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, let anyone who thirsts come to me and and drink. Whoever believes me, uh, the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow within him. It was just funny because there was a sign that said, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. And there was a water fountain right there that had a no drinking sign. So it was just a, a good photo op right there. Uh, then, all right, chilling in Magdala. I couldn't believe that I was in Magdala with the, the whole thing. Then uh, people were dancing like crazy at the one night. Uh, I already told you about the thing. All right, this is a mess. Uh, mass amount Tabor, yada, yada, yada. Uh, sea of Galilee. Okay, then we go to eat at this place uh we had not gone into the old city of jerusalem yet but where we were eating you could see the old city of jerusalem from behind us so um that i believe is when we went to uh the church of the visitation um where the second mystery of of the joyful mysteries happened. The first mystery is the Annunciation, so we were there. Now we went to where a pregnant Mary, Virgin Mary, pregnant Virgin Mary, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, um, who uh, was also pregnant, uh, further along due, already in her sixth month when Mary was, uh, when Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. And we went to the place where John the Baptist was born on that site, and we also went to the place where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived and that was that was really cool i'm not gonna lie that was it was a really powerful thing john the baptist jesus himself said he's the most important person born of a woman john the baptist did you know that in the entire history of the catholic church the church only celebrates three birthdays three only three the blessed virgin mary jesus christ and john the baptist everybody else they celebrate the, usually the day they died on or the day that they became a saint Three, why John the Baptist? Why is he so important that the church would recognize his birth? Why did Jesus say he is the most important person born of a woman? Of course, next to him. Well, in many ways, I'm not a scholar on John the Baptist, but he literally is the forerunner of the Lord. He literally is the hinge, the door hinge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the last prophet, if you will. Um, before Christ was born, a voice crying out in the desert to make the way of the Lord. You know, um, he's he's his forerunner. So that's a not very good explanation of why, but we can get into that. 
Uh, we went into Shepherd's Field. Yeah, so this itinerary and my pictures are a little bit different because um, we did go to where John the Baptist uh, was born and to where Mary visited Elizabeth. And I just absolutely love that meditation. Two pregnant women, the infant leaps in her womb. As soon as Mary says hello, John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leapt for joy by the power of the Holy Spirit because he knew who was in the other womb, womb to womb. What a beautiful sign of life in the womb. Holla. All right. So um, I am now taking a picture with the, we went to Shepherd's Field in Bethlehem uh, where the shepherds were, where the angel appeared to the shepherds and sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We say the Gloria every single Sunday at church. Every Sunday we sing the Gloria and this is where it happened. This is where the angels appeared to the shepherds on the night when Christ was born and said that a child is born to you uh, who is Christ and Lord. And then they sing glory to God in the highest. Oh, powerful. We also did that. So, of course, I just lost my pictures again, um, but we were also in Bethlehem. So what else did we go to Bethlehem? Obviously, we went not just to where the angel appeared to the shepherds, but we went to the Basilica or the Church of the Nativity, where there is no room in the inn for Mary and Joseph for Mary to be able to give birth to the Christ child. Yes, that's right. We were in the cave. A lot of people say it's a stable, whatever, but it was a cave where Mary gave birth to our Savior, and we were able to have Mass there. Mass in the cave, right behind the wall. Right in that little alleyway, we had mass there. That was the up until that point on the trip. That was the greatest honor in my entire entire life. Because later on, I ended up saying mass in the empty tomb of Christ, which obviously trumped that. But to be able to say mass right near the spot where Jesus was born—Are you kidding me? In Bethlehem of Judea to celebrate. The word becoming flesh in the liturgy, where the word would made flesh was born, unreal. I highly recommend you go back to my social media and check out that video. Just unreal. Um, so that was really, really, really powerful. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing here that we went to the Mount of Olives uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, the itinerary on this is a little bit different because the Mount of Olives definitely came a little bit later. Um, so I'm just going to go by my Facebook pages then. Uh, the gospel wasn't lying that Mary went to visit her cousin in the hill country. That's right. So that was powerful. Bam, bada bing, bada boom, betty boop. Angels we have heard on high, ba da 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 Gloria in the Chelsea's day. All right, so where John the Baptist was born, we will visit Shepherd's Field and celebrate Mass at the Church of the Nativity. No, this itinerary is right. I'm just not reading it wrong. Sorry, Mountain. You're the man, bro. Love you, bro. September 13th, we will visit the Mount of Olives. We will walk Palm Sunday Road to Dominus Flevit, where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
how I wish to gather you as chicks uh, to a mother hen or something like that. Uh, I'm not that good with scripture. Where Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and then we uh, continue into the Garden of Gethsemane. Oof, that was powerful. We will visit the Church of Agony, the Grotto of Gethsemane, and the empty tomb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So that was a lot in one day. And where am I with this? All right. So the Mount of Olives, um, you know, that's uh, where Jesus went. Um, it, it, it's everything is like so connected. You know what I mean? Like the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Church of the Agony. I think it's all like in the same hill or whatever. I'm going to just speak um, about specifically our time in the Garden um, of Gethsemane uh, and the Church of Gethsemane where Jesus spent after the Last Supper where he had the agony in the Garden. We were able to have Mass literally upon the rock or around the rock where Christ prayed to the Father right before he was arrested the night before he died. It was one of the most moving, most powerful masses that I've ever been a part of. Father Kevin Peake had that mass. He preached a great homily at that mass. Um, but man, to be able to be there together on that route and just, you know what I mean? Because I think that we could all, more than the resurrection, we can really identify with suffering. We can identify with fear. We can identify with anxiety. I mean, Jesus was so nervous. He was sweating blood. He was so human. You know, he trusted in the Father, but it was an opportunity for us to just also lay down upon that rock and just to, just the, our fears, our joys, anything that comes away to completely surrender, to completely surrender as Christ did. Because, you know, you could ask God for anything, but ultimately, 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 the Lord wants us to say, thy will, not my will, thy will. You could ask the Lord for anything. Jesus himself asked that the chalice would be passed from him, but he says, not as I will, but as your will, as you will, God, as you will, not my will be done, but your will be done because his will is better than ours anyway. So it was an opportunity in the garden of Gethsemane where Christ prayed that, where he was so human, where he was so nervous. But he said, your will, not mine, be done. And we had the opportunity to do that and to surrender and to say the same thing beyond, beyond moving. All right, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this Facebook thing um, messing up with my, uh, with my photos here. So that was powerful. We also had a cooking demo where we learned how to make hummus and falafel. I was starving that afternoon. Very grumpy. I apologize. All righty then. We... Visited uh, Mount Zion to visit St. Peter in Galicanto in the upper room. Yeah, I, yeah, the upper room. That yeah, where where the um, I'm not going to talk that much about it because that's one of the sites where we're not exactly sure if that's where the Last Supper happened uh, in the upper room. It was cool to be there or whatever, but we're not sure exactly 100. Uh, St. Peter in Galicanto. I don't remember really what that was, so I'm not even going to really talk about it that much. Um, Garden of Gethsemane. We walked the Palm Sunday route, this route that Jesus walked to go into Jerusalem. We visited, I never even heard of this before, the, the empty tomb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, we, you know, um, we went down there. Supposedly that's where Mary's body was buried, but then we also went to another place uh, where of the Dormition, where, so I'm not exactly sure like how that works out, if it was two different places or whatever. Uh, what was cool was to go into this kind of cave 
right near there in Gethsemane where you know for sure like they had to have hung out. They had to have hung out uh, in, in, in this spot. You just, you just, when you went in there, you just knew it. You just, you just felt it, you know? And uh, also there was a place up there where Jesus taught the apostles, the Our Father, and we were able to go also in that cave. They hung out in a lot of caves. There was a lot of cave stuff going on there. I felt a little bit like Indiana Jones. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> All right. So, We'll begin with an early morning walk along the Via Della Rosa, ending with Mass at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We will visit the Church of St. Anne in the Pools of Bethsaida. Then it's over to Ecce Omo and Judgment Hall, where Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. That was beyond powerful. And then the Western Wall. So, September 14th. Man, we're not even halfway through the trip yet. It was just so much. It was so much, and it was good. So... The day before, when we first got into Jerusalem, some people, there was about five of us, we woke up at like 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning and left at 4.30 in the morning to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, in that same church, is the spot where Christ died on Golgotha. And also within the same church, a couple yards away, uh, is the tomb where Jesus was laid. And... We went, just the five of us, we woke up very early, went, had about a really good holy hour right by the altar of the cross where Jesus was crucified. It doesn't look anything like it would have 2,000 years ago, except for these, these glass cases that hold in these massive rocks because Jesus was crucified on a quarry or in a quarry, and his cross was laid in one of those huge rocks in the quarry. So they have underneath the altar this hole that you can stick your arm in and feel the rock, and right next to it, see that to me, that's what brings me back to the first century. When you see these rocks, if you go underneath it downstairs, you see, I think it's called like the Rock of Adam or something like that, where Christ's blood flew, very powerful. But still, even though it doesn't like look like it, and it's very, you know, it's got a lot of decoration. The Greek Orthodox uh, Church are in charge of that section, and you could tell that it's very much their style of decoration or whatever. It's still powerful to be in the presence where Christ died. Are you kidding me? That morning we didn't get to go to the tomb because there was mass going on, private mass going on in the tomb. But you all know uh, what happened the next day when we went because. I posted about this and talked about this ad nauseum. I mean, guys, I mean, we had mass in the tomb of Christ, in the tomb. So in the Holy Sepulchre, okay, which is the tomb of Jesus Christ, there's like this like, I don't know if it's called like an antechamber. When you first walk in, like you could walk in and it's very, very tight. So there's like two rooms. There's this one room that you walk into where uh, like, I guess, Originally, that was like right outside the tomb where Mary Magdalene was, where the angel was that spoke to her. Um, and then you go into this, you have to like literally hunch down and go into like this other room, and that's the actual tomb. So there's these two rooms, and we had the liturgy of the word in this first kind of antechamber or whatever, this other out room that's in there. It was very tight, but as 
the liturgy of the word was going on as the readings were going on and the opening prayers and everything like that, people took turns two by two to actually to duck in and to go into the actual tomb. So, cause there was like, you know, 30 of us or whatever, how's everybody going to be able to get in? It was definitely chaotic mass in the beginning. And, you know, we kind of had to rush it or whatever. And, you know, maybe people could, I think they got enough time in there. Um, but everybody got to go in the tomb by themselves. And then for the liturgy of the Eucharist, Father Peak and myself went in there. Uh, they stayed right outside and we celebrated the liturgy of the Eucharist literally right overneath, right overneath, right over the slab where his body was laid in the tomb. We said mass right over that. We said mass in the tomb. I couldn't get over it. I could not get over it. Right behind me, there was this glass case, again, this glass case that showed the original stone wall of the tomb. And apparently there's another place in there. If you open up this icon, you could touch it with your bare hand. I didn't hear about that until we were already out of there. But I, I, I hear it. I'm like, who am I? I'm celebrating with a mass in the place where Jesus rose from the dead. All of Christianity, all of it hinges on, on this one place, on this resurrection, what happened here. St. Paul says that, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our entire faith is in vain. Our entire faith. I spoke about this before on the, on the Easter episode. There would be nothing. There would not be Christmas. No need to go to Bethlehem. No need to go to anywhere else in the Holy Land. No need to go anywhere else in the Holy Land that had to do with Christ if it was not for what happened in that empty tomb. I, I couldn't get over it. And I wanted everybody else to be able to receive Holy Communion in the tomb. And it was very tight, and I didn't know if it was going to work. But by the grace of God Almighty, I asked Mountain if it was okay, if one by one, each person, they ducked back in, and they received Jesus Christ, the living God, the risen Christ, if they received him in Holy Communion in the actual tomb. And we made it happen. We made it happen. And I don't think they'll ever forget that. I will never forget that. And I want to thank my, my, my friend, my new friend, Father Kevin Peaks, so much because I was so nervous saying Mass there, and we only had like 28 minutes or something like that, and, um, you know, me saying Mass. Uh, I forgot to say my brother's name during the prayer of the faithful. My brother's name is Kevin, and the only thing that helped me get through his death is the resurrection and belief in the resurrection, and I didn't say his name during the intercessions. So in the part of the Eucharistic prayer where you can mention the dead, Father Kevin Peake, who didn't know me at all, uh, he had heard that my brother had passed or whatever, he said my brother's name. He also said two other people's names um, of uh, other people on the trip who their family members died. He also mentioned their names. So he mentioned three names. One of them was my brother, and that really moved me, touched me. Oh my gosh, my brother was being prayed for in the Eucharistic prayer, in the tomb. Unreal. Unreal. I can't wait to see him again one day. The other day, I went to go say goodbye to my grandparents' house. Um, I only knew one set of grandparents, my mother's side, and um, grew up there. And they just, my grandmother, my grandfather died 21 years ago. My grandmother just died this past year. And so they're now selling the house. And it's been a long time since we did holidays there because my grandmother was sick for a long time and my brother passed, my, my grandfather passed away a long time ago. But that's where I spent like my whole childhood growing up, like for big events and 
even small events. My grandparents used to watch us and babysit us and stuff like that. My uncle Pete used to watch us. And I went into every single room just the other night and I closed my eyes and I just, I just let the Holy Spirit in and just remembered, just remembered different events that happened in that house, talking to my grandfather, eating with my family, playing hide and seek with my, with my cousins, playing outside uh, in the backyard, playing on the tree that they have in the front yard. It all came back to me. And something that came to me when I was on the deck is that like, I cannot believe that one day I will actually see and hang out with my grandfather again, see and hang out with my grandmother and with my aunts, uh, with my aunt Alice, with my brother. Like I just, it's like, like, wait, 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 what? Like this, if, if I get to heaven, like this is actually going to happen. Like these memories don't have to just be something of, of things that happened three years ago. There will be a fulfillment of them, an intensifying of them, a magnifying of them in heaven. To be able to actually sit at a table with my family members that have died and to eat choice, the best foods ever, that's a powerful thing. And that only happens because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I miss my brother. I miss my grandfather so much. I, I, and I believe that they're in heaven 100%, as I said at my grandmother's funeral, that she's reunited with them. Wow, like she's reunited with my grandpa. I, uh, they're hanging out in some way. You know, we, we don't know exactly how it all works. You know what I'm saying? Jesus says, you know, they ask, oh, who's, you know, this person was married so many times and whose husband is she in, are they in heaven, you know? Um, because my grandfather, you know, my mom's mom died when my mom was 10. My grandfather a couple years, you know, remarried. And so it's like, oh, well, who, who are they with? Well, you know what? They're in the communion of the saints. It, we, marriage is not, marriage is a sacrament. It's, uh, it's not the same as it is here on planet earth the earthly marriage. They're, they're participating in, in a greater marriage, the heavenly marriage, the marriage of the Lamb. But man, I can't wait to hang out with all of them. I don't want to die anytime soon. I'm a big baby. I don't want to die. I don't want to feel death. If it happens, I hope it happens quick and a long time from now. But man, the tomb, my brother, my grandfather, all my grandparents, my great-grandma, I hope to see them and be with them one day forever. I want to thank Mountain for having the connections to get us to say Mass in the empty tomb of Christ. It was the greatest honor of my entire life. Nothing will ever trump it, ever. Only if I do it again, and this time, like, my mom and dad are with me or something. But thank you. Thank you to Marilis for inviting me on this trip. Thank you to Mountain for running the greatest pilgrimage I've ever been on in my life. And I'm not even done talking about it, but this was the highlight. So I wanted to spend some extra time on it. And we got some really bad news. Um, a classmate of Marilis's died tragically um, back home while we were there. And 
we were able to pray for him. Uh, we were able to pray for him um, by Golgotha and in the empty tomb. I went back and I prayed specifically for him um, where Christ died. And there's hope, there's mercy, there is redemption. There's also some first century tombs right around the corner from the other tomb, from Jesus's tomb. That was really, really cool. Um, we later went on to the pools of Bethsaida where Jesus healed the paralytic. That was a powerful, powerful time to be there, uh, knowing that Jesus desires to heal us. He doesn't always heal everybody physically. The most important healing um, is spiritual, for sure. Jesus always talks about people's faith, saving them. So it's more important to be healed spiritually, but physical healings happen all the time, and it doesn't mean that they have stopped hap ha happening now. It's just amazing to be able to be there um, in that spot, you know. Um, we went and we visited the place where uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary was born, where St. Anne and St. Joachim was, where the Immaculate Conception was born. Mary was conceived without sin because she was going to be the, the, the new Ark of the Covenant. Her, her, her body, her womb was the dwelling place for God to become incarnate. So she was conceived without sin because she was going to hold the sinless one in her womb and bear him to the world. So that was, that was powerful stuff. Um, we did the, the, the Via Della Rosa before we went to the Mass, you know, the, the Way of the Cross. Uh, we got up very early. We did that. We pretty much had the streets all to ourselves, and it's uh, it's it's weird because it's like a marketplace, you know, like Jesus. And I don't think it's changed much in two thousand years where Jesus walked from when, after he was scourged and Pontius Pilate. We went to that place. We went to Judgment Hall. We went to where Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. Um, we went to where Jesus was held um in prison overnight on uh. Holy Thursday, he was held uh, in prison overnight in a dungeon low before, below the earth, and we went there. And, um, it was powerful. That was, for me, when I went as a seminarian, that was the most powerful place for me for some reason. I don't, I don't know, because it just, it just seemed so authentic, um, Christ just being held down there in chains overnight. Uh, we also went to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, um, where that is very, very sacred to the Jews. Um, that um, it's not the wall of the old temple that was destroyed by the Romans in like 67 AD or something like that, or 70 AD. Um, but it is a part of the wall that um, it has something to do with the temple. It's the only wall that they had that's 2,000 years old from the time of Herod. That I think maybe like was a like a, a surrounding wall for the temple or something like that, but very powerful. Um, prayed for my Jewish brothers and sisters there and my Jewish family members, um, my um, my my nephew and his mom and their whole family um, that are Jewish. Um, my brother married a, a Jewish girl, and um, so prayed for all them and prayed for uh, also my other friends who are. Jewish, um, some of them very, very close to me. Um, very powerful. Want to see a unification, you know? They're our brothers and our and our sisters for sure. So 
then we cross into Jordan. So I'm I'm probably missing so many things, but oh my gosh, the tattoos. We got tattoos that day, the day that we had Mass in the Holy Sepulchre. There's a place called Razuks, which is the oldest tattoo shop in the world, about 900 years old. The first 200 years they were in Egypt, and then they've been in Jerusalem uh, for 700 years. They used to tattoo crusaders. I wasn't sure if I was going to get a tattoo, to be honest with you, but I was shocked by how many on our pilgrimage were getting tattoos. And so I went to scope it out, and I wanted something that had to do with the resurrection because I just said Mass in the Tomb in Jerusalem. So I'm getting something of the resurrection, something of the resurrection. And, um, you know, uh, it took me a while to decide. I was thinking about getting something of my brother, but I wasn't exactly crazy about the design they came up with. I said, like, you know what? Um, there was a girl, a woman on the trip named Dorothea that ended up getting this, um, the victory lamb on her back and I saw a picture of it on her phone and I really liked it. And that represents the resurrection because I was going through some of the other things they have of the resurrection. And I, you know, if I'm going to get a tattoo, I, I, it's gotta be like, I want this. And so I saw this tattoo of her, uh, that was on her back and I was like, you know what? That's, that is perfect. A lot of people were getting the same tattoos anyway, like the Jerusalem cross and stuff like that. Uh, many people got the Jerusalem cross. So I got the victory lamb on my, uh, let's see if you can see this here. I got the victory lamb. Yeah, here you go. If you're watching, bam, on my wrist. And then what is that on top there? That is my brother's name in Hebrew. So it's the lamb of victory, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world with an olive branch underneath. I'm trying to get closer to the camera. And then my brother's name in Hebrew. And then I was like, you know what? What's your oldest, what's your most popular and your oldest tattoo? And they said the Jerusalem cross. So I had known of the Jerusalem cross, but I, I Googled the symbolism and everything like that. Uh, so I got that on, on my left wrist. So you got the cross and then the, the big cross and then the four, four small crosses, which represents that the gospel, the message of the cross, the, the message of Christ going out to the four corners of the world also represents the five wounds of Christ and also represents um, the uh, four different gospels. So I got the cross and the resurrection on my wrist. Every time I hold up the Eucharist, obviously I'm looking at Christ in the Eucharist, but i also see the cross and the resurrection right there. Then we went to Jordan and honestly, like just had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I mean, you saw the videos of, we went to the Wadi Ram, we went, uh, on, the, on the camels, a uh, long ride on the camels. I'm telling you, my gut did not fit in the saddle. They had a nice big camel for me, but not a big saddle. They gave me like an adult sized camel with a child sized saddle. And I have got to lose some weight because, man, it was hurting the last couple minutes of that. But I never thought I'd go to Jordan in my life. I didn't know what's in Jordan. I really enjoyed it. I would absolutely go back. A hundred percent. It looks a little bit like Tatooine from Star Wars, um, but that's really cool. Uh, so here we go. Uh, yeah, we went to the Wadi Rum Desert. We took some, uh, we hopped in these like pickup trucks. They call them Jeeps, but they're really pickup trucks. They take you out for a ride in the desert. Then you hop on a camel. You go camel riding. Uh, and then we ended up um, at this place, like these bubble tents. It was so cool. In the middle of the desert, place had good food, a lot of fun. Um, you know, Jordan was a little more fun. You know what I mean? Like 
Israel was, you know, definitely, you know, intense religious stuff every day, all day. And Jordan, definitely there was some religious stuff for sure, but it was also a little more fun, a little more relaxing, which was just, which was just absolutely great. Um, I mean, our pace didn't stop, but so we have some good, you know, some camel rides. <laughs> and then we went to Petra, which was absolutely beautiful. And that's um, where they're at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, that's where they go in and they find, you know, the Holy Grail and the, 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 the Knights Templar that was there for like 700 years or whatever. That's all Hollywood. But the outside, that's really, that's really there. Uh, so cool. Um, I, I wasn't expecting to be so excited with Petra, but I just was. I it just it just brought me back. So um, I ended up hiking up a very, very, very large staircase up a mountain. Didn't think I was going to be able to do it. A couple times thought I might not make it. Um, people were trying to get me to ride their donkey because they're like, you're going to die. Uh, they just wanted money. I mean, there was like a 10-year-old that was like would not stop trying to get me to pay to use the donkey that he was using. And I said, I don't have any cash. And this little kid said to me, in the middle of the desert, he goes, I use Apple Pay. <laughs> anyway, I said, no, please leave me alone. I wanted to see if I could get up there. I went up there. There was a monastery upstairs, up there in the rock. I wasn't too impressed with it because of uh, the, what I saw down below with the uh, Indiana Jones or whatever. But just the view over the Jordan Valley and you could see in the Israel, it was a really powerful, really special. Coming down, though, I wanted to take a donkey back, and I went to get on this one donkey. They had me stand on a stool, and as I went to put my one leg over the donkey, the stool gave way. And I fell and I fell hard and thank God I did not hit my head. Um, the stool broke my fall, my lower back and my hip were killing me, but it could have been really bad. And the guy felt so bad. And, um, anyway, I waited, we walked down the mountain. As soon as I got to the flat part, got on the donkey and this guy from Jordan is just, he's on his donkey. I'm on, I'm on a mule actually. And he's on a donkey. The donkey that he was on wants to mate with the mule that I was on as I was on it. It was very awkward. Uh, but eventually uh, that, you know, the honking, <laughs> that all stopped and everything like that. Uh, he got no action that day, that donkey. He just had to practice some chastity and self-control. So, uh, but yeah, man, it was just, it was so cool just taking the mule back and, it was just a, a powerful day, and I and I, I got this Indiana Jones gear uh, from my friend Matt Deco, who loves Indiana Jones, and I walked on the bus with it, and everybody started ch chanting the Indiana Jones stuff. Um, and um, then, uh, okay, so we went into Jordan. We'll head to the mob to see the oldest map of the Holy Land of St. George. That was kind of cool. Um, blah, blah, blah. We went to a great restaurant there. By the way, the food on this trip and the places that we stayed, outstanding. Unbelievable food. Unbelievable hotels where we stayed. God bless uh, Marilis and the Catholic Traveler. So then, yeah, yeah, he said the, this will be the best day ever when we enter Patreon. And I got to be honest with you, it, it in a sense, it kind of was. It was so cool. We had deep, deep, deep into the Wadi Rum. Uh, bah, okay, we did that already. The Majin Gorge. Some of the things got all right. This morning we leave the desert, head north to the five-star Dead Sea Resort. Dude, this Dead Sea Resort that we stayed at was sick. 
unbelievable. I felt like I was like at a place in like Hawaii. It was amazing. And we had private access to the Dead Sea. So cool. You can't swim well in the Dead Sea, but you could float. And even if you're 500 pounds, you're floating in that thing. Um, but two of the religious things that we did is that we went to the top of Mount Nebo. And I, I, I wasn't exactly sure what Mount Nebo was. I had to be reminded. And Mount Nebo is the place where Moses, the, where God allowed Moses to see, to catch a glimpse of the Holy Land, because Moses could not enter the Holy Land. He was being punished. Um, but that's where he died. It's the last thing Moses saw. And I wasn't expecting to be so moved up there, but I was very, very moved. And we had mass in this place. I don't know why, but it was just a very powerful moving mass. I wasn't expecting it. A lot of people said it was their favorite mass. You would have thought that it would have been in the Holy Sepulchre, but it was a very powerful thing. And then I just kind of chilled and, and just kind of sat and watched the view that Moses saw right before he died. The other religious thing that we did was we went to the Jordan River in Jordan, the actual baptism site where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. A lot of times when you go to Israel and you go to the Jordan River, you're not going where John the Baptist was baptizing. You're not going where Jesus was baptized. So we went to the actual site. Excuse me. We went to the actual site. It was very powerful, very powerful. We had mass in the church. We tried to have mass down by the river, but that didn't work. Uh, the Greek Orthodox got very upset with us for some reason. Uh, but we had mass in the uh, church, and then we went to the baptismal site. And I fought for more prayer time there because um, uh, things were just happening a little too quickly. And I really wanted to pray there, and I did. And it was very moving, very powerful. But earlier, while we were renewing people's baptismal promises, and I went in the Jordan River. I went a little bit too deep, and my phone and my wallet got soaking wet. Uh, but it's all good. Hey, if I'm going to get my phone and my my wallet wet, let it happen in the Jordan River. So, um, and then we had some downtime at the um, in the Dead Sea, uh, at the Sea of Galilee, and I mean not the Sea of Galilee, at the Dead Sea, and it was really cool. It was powerful. Uh, it was sad saying goodbye to everybody. We did so much stuff. I met amazing people. These people, I, I mean, I, I cried for a couple of days when I came home because, I, you know, you kind of become family. You know, we were there every day with each other for 12 days, you know, 12 days of traveling together. We're with each other morning, day, and night. And to be able to be their priest, to be able to be their chaplain, to be able to say masses in these sacred holy sites, to be able to be with such good people. There was a great mix, a range of people from younger to older. And Mountain was just great. Obviously, you already know um, Marilis and the ex nun on the run, but um, I hope to do other pilgrimages with him. I hope to do a pilgrimage for the Office of Catholic Cemeteries for the Archdiocese of Newark, because what better place to bring grieving families, the families who I minister to, than to the holiest place in the world, to the holiest tomb, cemetery, if you will, in the world. It's like a no-brainer. And I already talked to my boss, and he said, look into it. Let's do it. So 
I know I didn't talk about a lot of specific people on this trip, and a part of me kind of wants to do an entire episode where I invite everybody on who wants to be on to talk about their experience. I am eventually going to have an episode with Mountain just on the Catholic Traveler Ministry in general. Um, but I love you all. If you're listening, watching, that you are on the trip, I miss you all. And it was it was an amazing time. It was an amazing time, and I know that people really appreciated me posting all this stuff, uh, people back home posting everything and wanted to hear more about it, but you already heard all about it on social media. If you don't follow me on social media, just go back and look at my Facebook, look at my Twitter, look at my TikTok, look at my Instagram. And I didn't put everything on YouTube, but on the other sites, and you could follow almost the whole thing. Um, but it was an honor and a privilege, and it was the greatest pilgrimage. It was the greatest experience of my whole life. And I think it's changed me in a way. And I hope that it keeps continuing to change me. So they say that Israel is the fifth gospel. Uh, you know, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you have Israel where it all happened. So you can't go to Israel and go to these holy places and you, then read scripture the same way or, you know, hear the readings at mass the same way because you were there where these things took place. It's where the gospels come alive. You know what I mean? So um, I highly recommend you go with a Catholic traveler. I get zero kickback saying that. Um, but just go. Go to the Holy Land. Go to Israel. Go to Jordan. Um, it was amazing. I, I want to say more. I'm sure there was a lot of other stuff, but um, the people were great. The food was great. The atmosphere was great. The fellowship was great. The hotels were great. The guides were great, um, especially our, our guide in Israel, uh, Rizik, nice guy. Thank you. It was powerful. Um, pray for us. We'll pray for you. And um, don't forget, do not forget, please, to go to grillinghisholymess at gmail.com, grillinghisholymess at gmail.com, to email questions that you want to ask about anything, about the Catholic Church, about morality, about any Catholic teaching, about me, about my life, grillinghisholymess at gmail.com. I will not check the email address. My friend Tony and Cheryl will, and they will grill me. So send your questions to them. Send your questions. God bless. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Please share this episode if you want. If not, who cares? Let's just... Love and be loved. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining me for another episode of A Holy Mess Podcast. Please see the show notes in the description for this episode for more details and information about the topic and or the guest. You will find links and resources there to supplement this episode and help you along your messy but holy journey. Please also like, comment, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share all episodes. I want to thank Mike Mangione for providing me with the podcast theme song, Can You Love Me Falling, from his album, Red-Winged Blackbird Man. Finally, please note that while me, I, whatever the grammar is, Father Paul Hulis, while I am a priest for the Archdiocese of Newark, a holy mess with his holy mess podcast is not affiliated with the Archdiocese of Newark in any way, including 
fundraising efforts. This podcast is purely the personal hobby, product, and evangelization effort of Father Paul Hulis. Please join us again next time for another holy mess of an episode. Peace!